This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where now, through August 15th, you're going to find some excellent deals on some... Everything at Zupan's is delicious. There's not anything they sell there that's below par. So that being said, you now can save quite a bit on Columbia River steelhead fillets. And what's appealing to me here, Court, is their pork chops. Their Carlton Farms bone-in pork chops are now practically half off. You save $4 a pound. So uh, those are delicious. And of course, everybody knows who's been there. You don't know until you know. What is that Y-K-I-N-I-K-N-N-W um, that I see all the time now. You, you know if you know. You know if you know, yeah. Right. So um, their uh, their meat department is second to none. So everything's beautiful. Lots of great choices there. And their service is great, too. I like to have things ice packed. They, they pack everything up for me. But... Um, well, I got some other things too. Local organic leaf lettuce, two heads for five bucks, which is fantastic these days. And uh, nectarines, you're going to save two dollars a pound on nectarines. Yeah, I got to do a shout out here. Uh, speaking of local, is their Ruby Jewel ice cream sandwiches are on sale right now, two for seven bucks, which is a great deal on those and a delicious uh, treat on a hot summer day. Better yet, you can actually get into some background there and check out, just search uh, right at the fork, Ruby Jewel, and you're going to get an interview uh, there about how it started and where, where it's gone. That was a few years ago, actually. That's exactly right. Zupan's Market should be kind of your destination, whether you've got just a, a summer meal you need to put together, maybe it's an event, or you're just looking for some ideas for a get-together that you're doing. Zupan's Markets is the place to go. Any one of three locations, we've got Lake Oswego, McAdam, West Burnside, and of course, what we have open right now is... Zupan's.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm co-host, Court Johnson. Welcome back. I had to do this myself, this intro last week, and I, you know, I just mentioned to you, it's tough when you have to do the whole, it doesn't necessarily have to be six or seven minutes, but it turned out, and I felt like I had to keep doing it over and over again. I'd rather you're here. Well, people are creatures of habits. We have our way of doing things. I mean, I even stumbled on this is actually the second time I've started this episode because I stumbled on it a little bit. And I have the phrasing that's just, you know, I don't know if I want to call it natural, but it's the way I do it. And because I I threw in an extra word in there, it threw me off. Anyway, my point is this, Chris, when you switch things up for pretty much anything in life, it kind of makes you feel a little less than. And uh, I feel that when I step into your role and interview people, I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job. But this is what I would say to you. You sounded great last week, all by yourself, introducing our classic episode. Oh, but see, the thing is, I know what I didn't say, the, the oh, way yeah. I wanted to say it. And that's I, t- I tell people all the time when they're self-conscious about being on the podcast, mm-hmm. I'm just like, no one's listening to it through you know, your ears and yes. being as critical. So yeah. you're, that, you're always your worst critic. 
Yeah, no, I think so. You know, when I in the first two years of the podcast, I listened to everyone, and then I decided that was the uh, that was a need for therapy. So I stopped doing <laughs> listening. To, I, I kind of realized once I do the podcast, it's I've I've heard it. I've been you part of it. it, and you put it out there, and it's done. It's done. So you can't yeah. do anything about it. I did listen and. Uh, you do hear things that you can do better, like giggles. I thought, oh my god, I don't, I don't really want to giggle. I don't want to have that sound. So I think I got that out of the way. But I will make the point, Court. When you, if you're self conscious, we did, we do have that guy who wrote us a couple of times who was, who was, uh, had a feeling of relief when you were the host and I wasn't. Mm. Yeah, well. I, I we appreciated that feedback. Um, <laughs> that's only going to be a blue moon type thing that happens. But uh, um, typically, actually, those those occasions happen when one of us have something going on in our life. Last week, last week I had kind of some last minute travel that I had to take care of. So that's when you stepped in. I step in when you have travel, not not always last minute, but typically when you're going on these great international trips. Yes, the trips to. All sorts of good places, and I appreciate you doing that. We have one coming up. You're going to be. Did you know this, or are I just informing you right now? Ah, I. You're no, going to this... need to take the. I'm going to write this down. Which includes, by the way, finding the guests. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening who wants to help corp court out corp, anybody who wants to help court out and knows of a dynamic, fun guest in the Portland food scene, give us a shout at right at the fork at gmail dot com. Let us know. We always are interested in new guests anyway. Mm-hmm. So, no, Court, so mid-September to mid-October, all years yeah. again. Same thing as all last right. year. Same thing as last year. All right. I'm, right. I'm writing it down. We're <laughs> conducting business here as we record the intro of this week's podcast. Yeah. So, if anybody would like to uh, yeah, challenge Court or be on with Court, that's, uh, let us know. But right. I, have, I, have, I have a few episodes to book between now and then. Hey, that's almost... That's literally almost just six weeks away. So, it's got to feel great. I mean, uh, anytime you have exciting vacations or trips planned, it's just something in the horizon for you to look forward to. And you've got these trips these days scheduled, kind of the fall and spring, typically, yeah, or late summer and and whatnot. And that probably is is great. Looking forward to these. Yeah, and the thing is, I have a hard time calling anything vacation. Mm-hmm. The You're word working. vacation, because yeah, no, I'm working, but it's great. It's but even when I go on vacation, when I go on real vacations, I have a hard time calling it a vacation because I've been self-employed for almost thirty years now. That's hard to yeah. believe. So I kind of make my own schedule, and so d- my days are interspersed with lots of t- time doing what I want to do. So when I take a mm. vacation, it doesn't. F- necessarily feel like a va- it does feel like a vacation to me but i guess i have so many vacation days in between i need to have Can you I- talk to my wife chris because she started up her business three years ago and she's kind of the opposite where she goes on vacation and feels like she has to remain in contact with her with her clients and and whatnot because it's just her it's her it's her company she's well, the face of the company and same with me but she's probably um a lot more uh um, what's the word I'm trying to think? Ambitious. That's an okay. easy word. Sure. No, I, I can't I, even I, think of the word ambitious. That's a, <laughs> that's a nice Freudian slip. It's, it's so foreign to you. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got more ambition and she probably has more income than I have too. So that, mm. 
that uh, and she's got you to be there. I've never had anybody to look at me and say, "Is that what you do all day, or, or why aren't you working at the moment?" So um, I would never say that to my wife. I would never say that to Randy. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have occasion to do <laughs> and that. I, and I, yeah, I never, I, I would never come up. So. Right. So at any rate, uh, I do have these trips, and they're great. And I always add a week before and or after. Or a few days, uh, as long as I'm in Europe or I'm somewhere, and that's my, that's kind of my time. But you know, living in Manzanita, that's my time too. So yeah. that's that's why I said what I said. It's nice living here, and it does not mean I don't work. It means that you know I don't put in nine to five days. Right, uh, I do sometimes, but it's not like that's what my schedule is like Monday to Friday, nine to five. So I mean, I have sometimes little, little things with uh, my girlfriend because I'm doing things on the weekend when she's here. So things come up and I want to handle them. And that's the way Mm -hmm. it is. All right. Enough of that. So um, thank you, everybody. And if anybody wants to join us on these great trips with Portland Chefs and also Austria Ensign and Vitaly Paley, they can go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and see what's there and then contact me and we'll make it work. That's what we'll do. So... All right. All right. This interview is very interesting, and I tread a little lightly. It's with Adam Sawyer, who is a uh, people may know him as he writes for Eater. He does some of the best hiking guides in the Pacific Northwest, and I have a few of them. And I met him at uh, with uh, you know at my events. He's attended a couple of them. And uh, anybody who is in the know, who's listening to this podcast, knows that he underwent about the most severe tragedy one can imagine without coming up with every scenario from human history. But um, last year, Adam went away on a business trip, and while he was away, the, he had, the house he had bought with his significant other, Kara... Uh, and Kara and his cat all perished in a fire mm. while he was gone. And, and uh, Adam was very devoted to Kara. Kara was very devoted to Adam. And since seeing this happen, um, I've been watching Adam write about his, um, his feelings along the way, and it's very sad. It's, it's very sad. However... Lately, he's been starting to give talks about grief. So he's about a year and a half away, and he's starting to come to grips with it. And as he stated the other day, I'm ready to start peopling. And so when I saw that, I thought, well, okay, if you're ready to start peopling, that may be the time to join us on the podcast to talk about what you've been through and, uh, and also share some of his favorite food places on the coast because that's where he's living now. So... Um, and I, you know what, just as I, as I mentioned, if you get to the end of this podcast, I mentioned this, but I've said it many times before. One of the reasons I love this podcast is it enables me to spend time with people and therefore our audience gets to spend that time with them, but that I don't normally get to spend. I mean, I've met Adam before we've talked, you know, for five minutes and that's it. So this was an opportunity to spend over an hour with him and engage and find out what's going on in his mind and what things he has in mind. And, um, yeah, it was, I found it really interesting and yes, court before we, you hit record, I said, this is one you're going to want to 
listen to, and I suggest that to our listeners after they subscribe and like this, uh, or maybe you can do that afterwards, but I doubt people remember. So do that now, and then make sure you listen to this all the way through. It's a good interview with Adam Sawyer. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark Restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. All right, Adam Sawyer, we're trying this again. Okay, Slight technical difficulties here. So you're down the coast, and you know, I understand they have no network coverage over there or Wi-Fi. Is that the case? Yeah, it seems like we're in the dark ages. I, I thought yeah. I had Wi-Fi. It turns out that uh, that might not be the case. No, you're, you're good now, so let's go with it. I appreciate it. It's good to um, hook up with you again. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to have you for quite a while, but was kind of treading lightly. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> didn't want you to be anywhere you didn't want to be. So no, um, Understood. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm actually, I think you may have seen this. I posted on uh, Facebook the other day. I'm kind of open for business again, as it were. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, don't, I think I, I asked you right before you did that. Too, yeah, oh yeah that's sure. right but, yeah yeah that was so, the the same day so yeah so you but you had so here's the thing and we i think we should back up and let our new our viewers know where you've been and where you are right now and the journey you've been on sure um, sure but uh but it wasn't until recently that i saw you looked like you wanted to be a little more public about your tribulations over the past few years. And so I reached out and I thought, well, I know Adam, I ha we haven't had much interaction other than, hey, let's get together for coffee and not doing it over the last two years. <laughs> we just did it the other day. So I'm glad right. we finally got together for coffee. But, but Adam, let's back up. And um, if you don't mind, walk oh, no. us through uh, some pretty... Not pretty. Some quite horrifying <laughs> life experiences that uh, you've yeah. had over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is it is kind of heavy, and so you know, for the, you folks listening at home, kind of kind of brace yourselves a little bit before we we get into this. But uh, 
about a year and a half ago in February 2022, um, I lost my my wife, essentially my life partner, Kara, uh, our our pet cat, Leela, uh, our off the grid home, and almost everything in it uh, to a house fire uh, while I was out of town for work, and so. You know, as you as you would imagine, uh, that was uh, a pretty catastrophic loss, and and uh, and hit me pretty good, you know. And so, while I have been um, actively writing, and you know, we'll we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, I have been mostly focused on the grieving process, and you know, just kind of surviving uh, that that tsunami, if you will, of, of grief, and so. I, uh, I immediately kind of moved in with my with my mother, who has a one bedroom apartment in Beaverton, and and luckily, you know the the lunch tables. I I, I say that uh, the the lunch tables that, that you and I sit at in uh, the Northwest, be it uh, travel or tourism or outdoors or the hospitality industry. You know, there's a lot of crossover. Uh, we all kind of float between those lunch tables, and I was lucky enough to meet. Uh, the the wonderful owner Katie of the old Wheeler Hotel in, uh, on the coast here years ago when I was uh, working on a story about twenty five mile an hour zones on the coast and really I want to see that story not yeah, to break I'll, in here but no yeah I'll forward it to you it's uh, it, it's a great story but I you know I got to stay at her place there and you know fell in love with the place the town Katie the whole thing and. And so, long story short, she had me down there for a respite uh, after the loss and then kind of just gave me the keys to room five of the hotel and, and said, kind of come and go as you please until you, you find a place or land on your feet. And um, so, almost immediately, Chris, uh, you know, I've always turned to the outdoors when uh, life has gone pear-shaped <laughs> and, and uh, this time was, was no different. Uh, before, and I, I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but, um, you know, probably about eight, nine years ago, uh, I was recovering from heroin addiction and, uh, the outdoors was what really helped me, uh, gain perspectives and kind of, uh, find my way back to health. Uh, and now this time, uh, uh, the outdoors was, Critical. I mean, the love and support of everybody, um, you know, yourself included, all, all of our, our friends at the varying lunch tables, friends and family, uh, and even complete strangers was incredible. Uh, but this act of kindness from Katie giving me this, this place to live on the coast, you know, I would go out uh, to the beach or up into the, the woods or on the trails for hours, um, sometimes all day. And I'd, I'd grieve, you know, I would just kind of, um, you know, cry, scream at the woods forever, however long I needed to. And I would come home and I would write about it and kind of process that grief that way. And while I knew that the the answers I wanted were, weren't out there and I knew that uh, the perspectives I needed very much were. And I was writing about these perspectives that I was gleaning from uh, grieving out, outside. And I started sharing those essays uh, with people, my friends and family on, on Facebook and social media, and was getting some, you know, really uh, heartfelt responses uh, about how that was 
helping some people or giving them some insight into some uh, grieving that was going on in their lives or other chapters of grief uh, from pre- previously in their lives. And uh, writing for work became almost impossible, Chris. Like, I think we discussed, like, I, I just could not focus. You know, typically, I am an outdoor and travel writer and photographer. I, I write guidebooks for Falcon Guides, and I, I freelance all, all kinds of uh, uh, of work for publications in and around the Northwest. And, you know, I was trying to finish this waterfall guidebook uh, about Idaho, and I thought that just diving into that would help me, you know, kind of keep me busy or keep my mind occupied. And I just could not focus for the life of me, for my, for the life of me on directions to a trailhead or like the five best burgers in Seaside. I just, I, I couldn't write about that, but I was um, writing volumes of kind of how the outdoors was helping me through this grieving and healing process. And so uh, I found a, a platform called Substack. I'm, I'm a little late to the game. I, I know everyone, most, most writers I know were, were well aware of this platform uh, before I was, but I was trying to find a way or a platform in which I could put this grief writing that could potentially be of benefit uh, to people uh, out there and, and make it accessible to anyone at any time. And this platform allowed me to do that. But what it also allowed me to do was, you know, I still have to eat. (laughs) And um, uh, this platform allows me to also have a subscriber uh, kind of scenario where you can be a free subscriber. And all of those grief essays go on that that substack called Collecting Sunsets. It's uh, adamsawyer.substack.com. All the grief stuff and healing in the outdoors is free uh, forever in perpetuity. Uh, but I do have like a, you can be a $5 a month subscriber kind of thing and, and have access to all the other writing that I do about travel and the outdoors and love and life. And even, um, this sounds a little odd, uh, humorous essays about my mother's cognitive decline, which is... Um, uh, you know, we, we handle a lot of things in my family with dark humor. Uh, and my mother is kind of having this cognitive dec- decline at this point in time. And we have these remarkable conversations where I swear I am tending to a gaslighting mastermind, but uh, it is just, you know, the aging process. And so um, well, it's great that you're able to find some humor in that, too, because I've been through that. And that's tough to find humor. Yeah. And especially when it's your mom. So uh, good for you. Good for you. And, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, you know, I think it takes a little time, too. When you're in the moment, it's, yeah. when you hang up the phone with your mom after one of those conversations, it's hard to find humor. So oh, maybe, maybe <laughs> in, 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 with some time passing, you can find it. I, I think I can now, too. But at any rate, sorry to break in there. But, you know. Yeah, no worries. I, I just start going. <laughs> well, no. And, but I, 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 it's interesting that you say it was hard for you to write for work because that just wasn't important to you at the time what right. all you were focused on was you know what just happened and that is i think i i can't think of harder trauma to work through than that so i can see where it kept cropping up no matter where you went and by the way i wanted to mention from the wheeler hotel and i don't know room five but you have one of the most magnificent views 
on the planet looking out over Nahal- the Nahalem River and the bay and all that stuff. So it's oh, a yeah. good pl- it was a good place to clear your head, I'm sure. Uh, it was... Uh, I'm glad you bring that up, Chris, actually, because I, it's the view I had from room five is, is what, and you mentioned at the Nahalem Bay, I, I lovingly referred to as the Nahalem Serengeti, mm-hmm. uh, because there was kind Perfect. of Lazarus, Lazarus Island there, the, the, you know, the, the, the Sitka, um, Sitka woodlands out there where those trails are, uh, the, the river, the bay, the ocean off in the distance. And, uh, there were times, especially early on uh, after the loss, where despite the fact that I wanted to be outside, uh, there were days that I, I didn't leave the bed uh, unless it was to go to the restroom or get a bowl of soup. But that view, you know, especially at that time of year where the elk were coming down to the island and they were calving, and I could get inspiration from the outdoors and, and see life cycles continuing on uh, and even though I wasn't able to maybe make it out or, or beyond my four walls that day, uh, I was still finding inspiration from the outdoors, even from my bedroom. So that, that place was really special to me for a lot of reasons. Well, also, I find, I think, and you can tell me how you felt, that sometimes when you're in your own headspace and it's not good, it's dark, uh, the best way out is to be in large open spaces where you kind of real it it doesn't take it's possible I shouldn't say it doesn't take long but it's possible for you to see that there is a larger world out there and um, you if if you expand it maybe looking at your problems feel a little less heavy and yeah. Uh, I mean that's that's been my experience. The, the- no, you that's that and that's you you hit the nail on the head with kind of uh, the the perspectives angle and 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 you're right. Like I, I was never a big beach guy. I, I was much more of like a trails uh, up into the forest, up into the mountains kind of kind of guy. But uh, living here, I've I've taken to taking these these beach. The first thing I do every day is take a walk on the beach. Uh, one of the local beaches here and. You know, I always used to think that's not really a hike. It's more of just kind of a beach stroll. But uh, as you and I were talking about the other day, that it the beaches here you can find. I can look if I go out there in the morning. Sometimes I can look up one side and down the other, and not see another human for as, as far as the eye can see. And to have that sort of uh, solitude and, and on such a grand scale, and how the beach is different every day. You know, twice a day, it's a completely uh, remade landscape. And there's so much to uh, ponder and so much uh, perspective that you can, can be gained from, from just looking at the ocean or, or pondering the sand or seeing the way that the, that the weather patterns change and, and the way that life kind of shifts and, and maneuvers. Uh, you, you get a lot of insight and a lot of... Um, inspiration from that but like you said that that sort of big open space uh was never my was never my jam but boy it sure is now well it also enables you to look like when i look down the beach and i realize this has been here for billions i don't know millions (laughs) billions of years and we're just like we're living in a little tiny 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 minuscule period of time in in relation to that that's where it helps me to realize, okay, and I've lived a long life and had ups and downs and some, you know, pretty heavy, 
crevasses that I've fallen in and then sure. gotten out of. And so, but just looking at the landscape helps me to realize that, man, this is, this is just a little part of life and it's not always easily successful, but I find it easier to do in the expanse of the ocean and the mountains than it is on a trail. Trail is yeah. good, but right. And, and this is really, I want this to be more about your perspective, but I have some, I'm just curious as to whether you see it the same way at times because the ocean is a, not brand new to you, but appreciating it the way you have sounds like it's right. new to you. It is. And, um, you know, that's kind of appreciating it all is something that, that's kind of really been pushed to the forefront for me now. Uh, in terms of being uh, having gratitude for for every day and every moment that uh, is availed to you, um, one of the things that these essays kind of have morphed into, kind of to your point about like the ocean versus the mountains versus this or that, was um, these presentations that I've I've started doing at libraries. Uh, it's called um, "Grieving and Healing in the Outdoors of Oregon." And in it, I, I have essays that cover the desert, uh, the mountains, the coast, and uh, even your, your backyard, you know, like kind of your own local trails or local park even, or what you can see from, from your window and, and how all of them, uh, all of them have perspectives and, and, and healing opportunities, uh, you know? And so it's kind of like, I'm new to the, to the beach, but when I was dealing with my, my heroin addiction and recovering from that, one of the most impactful uh, things that ever happened to me really was a hike that I took uh, on Vista Ridge that I later wrote an essay uh, called Death and Rebirth on Vista Ridge. And it was, I think it was the Dollar Lake fire several years ago, uh, wiped out uh, this, this large swath of, of, a forest up there uh, where people used to go on this canopied hike to uh, Eden Eden Park, I think is what it was called. And and after the fire, it, it took a few years, but eventually these avalanche lilies, carpets of avalanche lilies started uh, propagating and essentially like pushing receding snow fields up the mountain every year. And I, I saw some photos of, of that on, you know, like this Facebook groups or forums, wildflowers and hikers groups. And I, I had to witness that in person because I was just, well, I, I was recovering from opiate addiction is hard in many ways. But, but one of them is that you just don't, it takes a while for your endorphin receptors to, to kind of repair themselves and for you to feel that kind of rush from, you know, discovering a new waterfall or hiking or those sorts of things. And so I was really battling that. And I wanted to go see these, these lilies. And it took me a year before I was able to get back there when they were blooming again. But when I did on this particular day, the, the, the palette of colors uh, between like the black snags uh, of a burnt forest and the bluebird skies uh, over Mount Hood and these white ethereal lilies um, just summarily moved me to tears. Uh, it, it, that day and that moment, the parallels between the forest and my life were, were just too much to bear uh, because there was regrowth in what you know was this, this destroyed landscape. And there was beauty in that regrowth. And it was never going to be the same forest that it was. It never will be uh, due to a conglomeration of factors. But... 
you know, it was kind of like Mother Nature that day uh, sat me down and put her hands on my shoulders and said, you know, if you keep coming back here and take care of your body and your soul, you know, you'll you'll feel strong again. You'll find love again and, and you will be you once more. And and uh, I kept my promise to her and she kept her promise to me. And, and today I'm eternally grateful for death and rebirth on Vista Ridge. Let me ask you this. Um, so you said it was eight years ago that you uh, fought and beat back your heroin addiction. Was that something that you had to, now that you had some reason to fall back into it, I suppose, yeah. did you have to fight that over the last year and a half? Was that another battle you were, you were fighting? No. So, well, let, let, let me actually walk that back a little bit because the story is a little darker and longer <laughs> than, than even that implies. Uh, my first dance with opiate addiction was in the military. Um, so I, I joined the Air Force straight out of high school. And, and so that was back in like 1992. And back then they prescribed uh, Percocet uh, opiate painkiller for everything. We actually called it GI aspirin uh, at the time because if there was anything you had uh, any sort of discomfort with, you were you, they'd prescribe you Percocet. And I worked in the hospital, and it took years for it to kind of ramp up into a full blown addiction. But but by the time it did, it, it was pretty serious. And I got to the point where I was prescribing myself uh, Percocet and got caught. And went to trial, uh, got a felony conviction and a one-year prison sentence in the military, and then just had all of my benefits and everything just completely wiped away. Wow. Um, yeah, did my did that, my time in prison? That's unbelievable. That's that's they were prescribing that to you. They got you going on it, and then they're penalizing you for it. It's it's kind of like the people who are still in prison for marijuana convictions, right? Yeah, it is in a way. And at that time in the military in the 90s, there was no such thing as addiction. You had to kind of own this was your this was your fuck up. So you own it. And which I did. Uh, and eventually, you know, uh, I, I got through it and got past it, got clean, you know, and and spent I was clean for a whole decade uh, and then ego and hubris uh, when I was in Portland, you know, just one night. Uh, someone offered me black tar heroin and I, and I was actually initially angry. Uh, I was like, how, how could you, you know, my history with opiates, but 30 minutes later I was chasing them around and smoking black tar heroin off tinfoil in a bathroom. And mm. so that took a, a couple years to ramp back up. But anyway, you know, the rest of that story. Uh, so after the loss, luckily I've been very diligent uh, with that, the, the potentiality to to slide back uh, or that slippery slope of of uh, opiate addiction. So I've been very diligent with that. And what I had to be careful of, though, because I am in no way, shape or form the, the poster boy for recovery, I had to be careful with the alcohol consumption um, because I do still uh, drink beer. I, I enjoy beer. That's a part of like some of the writing I do. Uh, I do enjoy my occasional cannabis gummy, um, <laughs> which, you know, a lot of a lot of models for recovery will tell you to avoid those things. Um, but I, I was very careful with the alcohol consumption because I knew that there was a potentiality that I could just uh, dive into the bottom of the bottle uh, after this loss and not come back up. And so 
And at one point in time, I, I did feel like I was drinking a little bit too much and stopped drinking entirely for six weeks just to like pump the brakes to make sure that I was uh, not hiding my pain or, 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 or numbing it or anesthetizing myself and making sure that I was facing the grief and the pain head on. So it is, it's something I, I pay real careful uh, attention to, Chris, and, and, and I don't always get it right, but I'm, uh, I'm pretty diligent these days and hopefully still, um, you know, handling things in a more healthy way and doing the best I can. Wow. It takes a lot of strength and I commend you for, uh, thank you, sir, for, for fighting that battle too at the same time. But I appreciate um, it. But, but losing the love of your life in that way is almost unimaginable. That's all I could keep thinking when I saw what happened and saw you writing about it. It's uh, just one of the hardest things uh, to deal with. Uh, it is. Vibrant and that you <laughs> love more than anything. Yeah. And uh, this is not someone who's, you know, older and then maybe it was a little bit serendipitous. No, 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 no. This isn't that. So right. Um, well, you know what I've discovered, uh, Chris, and and this is a. I'm still trying to find kind of the right words to to put this down or to to put it into essay form at some point. Is I've gotten a lot of. It's nothing compared to your pain or your situation, but and then someone will tell me about what they're going through, and I've come to find that that. You know, you you can only fill a cup so much before it's brimmed. You know what I mean? And you can only feel as much pain as you're capable of feeling. Uh, and then everything else is just gravy at that point. And so while, yeah, if we were like filling out a, term, a tournament bracket of like, uh, <laughs> you know, tragic losses, uh, the bullet points of mine might put me at a one seed uh, in terms of like the circumstances. But in terms of the actual, you know, being in pain or in or, or grieving, I think anyone that has had a significant loss of any sort uh, is probably in the exact same spot in terms of how, how much pain they're in and how much they can how, how much grief they can actually handle at one time. Um, and I think part of that was for me, I noticed that when, you know, before the loss that our cat was my favorite pet of all time. Uh, and I told Kara, my, my, my partner, you know, and, and not jokingly years ago, when this cat goes, it's going to be an issue for me. And I'm going to be probably inconsolable for weeks, if not months. And it's going to take me a while to get over, but I haven't shed a single tear just for that cat since this loss. And I think what happened was, and who knows, maybe I'll wind up uh, you know, screaming myself awake over that cat three years from now, who knows? But I think everything just kind of got, uh, bundled if you will. And I, and I wrote this at one point, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that grief offer, offers, uh, uh, discounts when you bundle because I lost so much in one go that it all just kind of became the same grief and the same pain. And it was just as much as I could take, you know. And so I think to my point, the point I'm trying to make with that, that talking about the cat is you can only be in so much pain and then, and then that's it. And so I, I feel it's, it's a bummer when people try to, um, 
talk to me about what they've gone through or are currently going through and kind of try to diminish their own uh, when I, I really don't think that that's necessary or even how, how pain or grief works. Yeah, it's one of the things that you learn. I mean, I remember when I got divorced and I was in deep pain and I used to think, woe is me. I'm the number one seed in that <laughs> yeah. regard. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't take long, and this does not necessarily relate to your situation, but it doesn't take long to realize there's there are a lot of lives out there going through a lot of different issues right. and things. And uh, you're right. Uh, everything's different to different people. And no matter who's got a harder situation in an objective sense, right. subjectively, it's tough, no matter right. what. Right, 100%. I think you you put that great. Uh, you put that great. And uh, one of the things that I'm kind of trying to, to, to take up the torch for here in, in this process is, I don't know if it's just our culture in general here in, in America or a, uh, a, a generational thing or, or what it is, maybe a combination of both, but... We don't we don't talk about grief a whole lot uh, in our society. We kind of keep it at arm's length because it's it's uncomfortable. It's painful. Uh, where a lot of other uh, cultures, now that I'm you know kind of looking into these sorts of things, uh, they they do a much better job of kind of uh, recognizing and and dealing with and confronting grief uh, throughout their entire lives. It's kind of not something to be run from, but but something to uh, almost be embraced because as you know, uh, we all have a hundred percent chance of, of losing uh, everybody. Um, I don't think anyone's made it out alive <laughs> yet. And, our, you know, and ourselves I, too. We're right. all gonna, we, it's not a matter of uh, if. Right. It's when. It's when, right. And yeah. And so that's one of those things I really want to kind of uh, also uh, champion the cause of, I guess is one way to put it of, you know, it's we we all have to deal with grief at some point or another. And even I, when my father passed away a few years ago, um, I think I cried once, and, and I just kind of kept it at arm's length because I really didn't want to deal with that pain. Uh, I didn't want to didn't want to go through it. Uh, but this this loss was so in my face. There was no there was no getting around it. And and now a year and a half later, I've gone from you know keep it away from me. Uh, crying makes me uncomfortable to, to kind of likes to cry guy. Uh, I'll cry at the drop of a hat now, uh, better out than in, uh, I guess is the best way to put it. And if you show me a commercial of a grandpa taking his, his, his grandson or granddaughter fishing, I'm going to lose it. So I don't know. Maybe it, it feels better though. I feel like I'm finally dealing with things. And it's probably going to be, you can't ask you this question now because you never know. But, yeah. you know, maybe 20 years from now, you could say, where were you in 2023 on the spectrum of pain? You know, how, how, uh, how, um, how far had you gone to be able to function? Like you just said, now you, you've just gotten to the point where you can deal with people. Right. Um, you know, right. was there, and I don't know if you're at the point where you can deal with movies. I know I've been through... <laughs> Uh, pain before, and I could find in any movie reason to cry. Right? Oh yeah, it was it was either happiness or sadness, one or the other. But, um, <laughs> but so you just never know where you are. But I'm I'm 
happy for you to hear that you're just at the point where you can discuss this with people and not only that have taken action to discuss it with groups of people and open it up so and i'm sure that's therapeutic for you too i don't think oh yeah i think part of this is a little selfish and not in a negative way but so no, no. you need to do it and um and other people are benefiting and they need to discuss it too so that helps no, everybody 100 percent. yeah i think you're i think you're right there is uh and i initially I was doing it for me entirely was, you know, there was this catharsis and the the processing and the healing. Uh, but then come to find that there, there was potential benefit, uh, for some other people. And I'm having these conversations with people and I do feel like this is kind of what I am supposed to be doing or should be doing rather, uh, at this juncture or at this point in my life is, uh, yeah, it's working great for me. It's helping me, but I'm also potentially helping other people. And if that's something that I can do, it, it kind of, um, she was a, a, an in-home rural crisis counselor, like a trauma counselor for kids that had been um, abused in, uh, you name it, a, a, any kind of way you can imagine. And she would go into their homes and try and give these kids the tools to uh, make it through that and to, to live good lives after this trauma. And there aren't many ways that I can honor her legacy uh, because I'm not a counselor and I don't have an education of any, any sort to, to fall back on. But what I can do is, is this and maybe help uh, my, through my own processing and my own pain and trauma uh, maybe provide a little insight or light or or inspiration or something to ponder for for others, and that's maybe the best way that I can honor her legacy and continue her work in the way that I'm capable of doing. Well, I would I would venture to say you have a, a at least an honorary degree in grief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if not a PhD, you never yeah. know. So. <laughs> Um, so I know that's helpful. I want to ask before I forget, cause I'm, it's sure. really easy for me to forget. Do you have religion in your life? Is that something you could fall back on or did, is that something that, um, you couldn't? I don't. So I am agnostic across the board and actually mm -hmm. there's a, a pretty good essay dealing with that on my, on my collecting sunsets, uh, sub stack where, um, I'm agnostic on, on all things, but I, but I also recognize that there are things for which no reasonable explanations have yet been posited. And so mm -hmm. I have a open but skeptical mind with regards to pretty much everything. Um, I don't deal uh, much outside of the realm of the proven and factual. You know, for me, my, my church is, is Mother Nature, is the outdoors. That being said... Um, I'm also, I, I receive with open arms and an open heart, absolutely everything that anybody brings to me. And what I mean by that is I've had, uh, people who wanted to pray with me and I happily prayed with them. I've had people, a friend of mine, give me a grief crystal, uh, that she got from Mount Shasta, 
which, um, you know, is supposed to have some sort of uh, healing powers and help you with grief. And, and that's not something I necessarily believe in, but I gladly and gratefully uh, took that crystal and I carry it with me everywhere I go. And so it's kind of the, I, I look at it the same way that when people wish me like a, a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah or whatever, or a Happy Holidays, if you're kind enough to wish me a happy anything or be thinking of me, I take that uh, uh, in in the spirit that you intended it, whether it's something I'm I'm into or not. Well, I also believe <laughs> that someone thinking about you sure. is is healing, and whether, even if whether you know it or not, but especially knowing it to know someone's actually thinking of you, and the other. Part of this that we're covering right now, but so if you don't have, if you're agnostic, you don't necessarily believe that you're going to see Kara in another life. But the one thing that you may or may not have, which I have experienced as someone who also feels the way you do, mm-hmm. that um, that she's with you. That yeah. every time you think of her, my definition of love that I came up with some time ago, I don't remember when, and I believe it's still to be true, is you're, you are, you love someone when they're with you, when they're not with you. So right. when, when you're experiencing things through their eyes, that is, that's also an honor to them, but it's also an honor to yourself and your relationship so that you can still have them with you a little bit. You know how um, Kara would react to certain things and what she would really appreciate and what would mean something to her, and it allows you to have those moments still. Oh, 100%. They may be painful, but they... Right. Well, what you said perfectly... uh, perfectly summarizes uh, kind of the way that the whole first year is gone for me. And that initially, even going for a hike uh, was, was, was difficult as much as it was necessary for me to, to help process the grief. That was our favorite shit to do. Was, right. And you're alone I mean, that's, now. Right. And that's how we met. You know, I was guiding a hike in the Columbia River Gorge to promote a, a hiking guidebook. And, and that's where I met her. Uh, the first time. And so that was absolutely our favorite shit was, was going out and hiking or going into the woods. And so initially, you know, I was having these brutal memories, you know, because most of the hikes I do out here, I've done with her. And so I would turn a corner and see something that she commented on and it would wreck me. But as time has gone on over this, this, this year and a half, Slowly but surely, those memories, uh, and I suspect they'll always be bittersweet uh, to some degree, but they are moving slowly towards the more saccharine side of that scale. And uh, a great example, and I think this is exactly what you were talking about, was I was down in Florence a couple of months ago, and I finally took a hike where I had a Kara memory that wasn't... um, painful or didn't have a cloud over it it actually gave me kind of a wry smile and a laugh and i like felt her presence mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. because so two things and and uh, <laughs> so kara and i used to both make fun of benches that had views of absolutely nothing on a trail or that seemed to be located like for mm-hmm. no good reason at all and 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 i know that as a general rule it's 
you know, usually after some elevation gain or they're spacing them out. So people, you know, that need to can take a break. I get that. But, you know, you could move it 25 yards down the trail where there's an actual view. So I was doing this hike down in Florence and I came to this this bench in the middle of nowhere that was essentially just kind of kitty corner and looking at a bush. And I laughed out loud because I could hear her giving that bench and whoever put it there a good-natured ration of shit over where they put this bench. And I laughed out loud and smiled down the trail. And then as I turned the corner, like maybe a half a mile later, and you know this living out here on the coast, Chris, that there are these parcels of forest here on the coast of like shore pine and Sitka spruce that get battered by the wind and the elements and that contorts the trees. And you'll, you'll walk through this grove of shore pine that looks as if though you've, you've stumbled across a forest cauldron dance and they froze in time as you, as you kind of came into their midst and they're holding their pose until you pass through. And those were Kara's favorite trees. She, she loved those and I turned the corner and I saw a grove like that and I could hear her gasp. Um, but instead of it making me sad, you know, it, it gave me that wry smile. And so, like you said, she was with me. Uh, as agnostic as I am, very much to your point, I felt her presence and it made me smile and it made me feel warm. And, and it took a while for me to get there. And and I still have sad days, but but that finally happened, and I'm guessing it's going to happen more and more as time goes on. Yeah, there, there are moments that are little treasures in your life. And, um, yeah, I would, it would only stand to, logical, to, to great logic that you will have more of them as you go on. That does not mean they're not going to be tied with sorrow at some point. So, sure. Um, but uh, I'm glad to hear that you have that, and um, interesting to hear that you're that you ha- that you crossed that bridge to the point where you could feel happiness uh, in yeah. those moments. No, that was a big one. Uh, just to to have that that moment where finally I had one, you know, and I've had more since then. But yeah, and, and that's just the the passage of time, you know, and that that's unfortunately one of those things that um, you know. I kind of already knew, but Mother Nature kind of crammed the point down my throat of is that everything takes time, its own time. And not everything is going to make sense. Uh, Not all of Mother Nature's cycles are logical to us or by human empathetic standards or assessment remotely fair. Uh, And we're not going to understand it. And that's okay. Uh, what's important is that we just keep going and appreciating the things that that we do know are coming and the cycles that we do you know are aware of and to go outside and you know take advantage of of a wildflower meadow in summer or you know the the running of the salmon in fall and and really appreciate and enjoy those things that we know are coming well it's analogous to the trees you were just mentioning do you know how long they've been there for them to be bending away from the ocean to have the winds affect it and actually have them move in that direction that doesn't happen like you think about it think about being in a heavy duty wind situation 25 mile an hour winds you think that's going to move a tree within the next five days right no it takes it takes (laughs) It takes forever to do that. And so that's the same thing, I think, with healing. It's, uh, you can start to feel that wind and the effects mm-hmm. it's going to have. But, uh, 
but it takes it takes a long time. Well, and that's a that's another perspective uh, that living here on the coast specifically ha- has given me is that you know the Oregon coast has taken a beating for time immemorial. Like it takes an onslaught, the best onslaught that the that the elements have to offer in terms of wind and rain and and all that sort of erosion and the tide and for as long as we've had human voices to detail such things it's always displayed this uh, uncommon beauty and i think that the oregon coast is one of the most uh beautiful landscapes i've ever laid eyes on and it's probably that way um not despite what it goes through but because of it right yeah and it you know what it and it takes some it takes some lives with it you you know yeah. going up and down the coast you mentioned the the benches there are stories in yahats and uh, you see them on on benches on plaques of unfortunate situ unfortunate situations where people have been swept away right and then but there are a lot of us that are there to enjoy it as well and you just got to be careful right Even, and but you know what you can't be careful enough Someone could be very careful and still have some misfortune come their way. Um, so I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but what I, I guess <laughs> I was I was thinking about the fact that it's in one respect it's very healing, and in the other respect it's dangerous too. Right? So it's yeah, like everything just, else. It's kind of analogous to everything. Precisely. Yeah, that's just a, a life in general, right? Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland, an institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. 79, over 79 years. I remember we were just saying 75 years, so time's flying, and uh, and we're coming up on an 80-year institution in Portland, uh, Ringside Steakhouse, where now, something they didn't have for most of those 80 years was, an, was outdoor dining, and their patio is awesome. And um, it's really nice spot to eat. They have they have some heaters out there if you need them. It's really pretty. So whether you're eating, you know, when you eat at ringside, you can either eat in the beautiful dining room, the bar. Now you can make reservations to eat in the bar or outside. Lots of choices there. In addition to lots of choices for different cuts of steak, right, Court? Yeah, I was just telling you this off air. Chris, I went just recently with my wife, Randy. Uh, you had been telling me, you got to get the Wagyu, you got to get the Wagyu. I, I finally did um, because there's so many great items to choose from, and I just hadn't got to it yet. I went with the olive-fed Wagyu, and it, easily the best steak I have ever had in my life. I, like, yeah. I was dumbfounded by it. It's a treat. It's not something you're going to get every time you go in there because it's a little expensive. Sure. But I've seen it for way more elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's something if you have, you know, a couple of times you get to say, just like you did, that it's the best steak you've ever had. And they yeah. have it. They have different options, too. So olive, olive fed is just one of them. The food, the food is delicious. And the service is absolutely bar none. The best in town. We had Colin serving us, and just the best service the entire night. Best food. If it's a special occasion, if it's not a special occasion, Ringside Steakhouse is the place to go. Yeah, it will be. Just go in there. It will turn into a special occasion. There it is. 
So, uh, and they also have food to go now, and they even on their website they've got a, a scrolling banner: ringside steaks are on sale. So, that's a good opportunity as well. So, they are on West Burnside. They're open. Let's give the hours here: four thirty to nine Monday through Thursday, four to nine thirty Friday and Saturday, and four to nine on Sunday. And, of course, set up those reservations. You can do that through the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, or on the Open Table app. So I want to ask, um, there are so many different ways to go with this conversation. So let's talk a little bit about your talk the other day that was very meaningful to you and yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it felt like uh, uh, it felt different to you yeah and then at some point so I don't forget I wanted to cover two things because um, and let me mention something that I feel as though I'm a better writer than speaker which is odd for someone who hosts a podcast <laughs> yeah. but my writing I think is better than my speaking and I think listening to you you're as eloquent a speaker as you are a writer and and i think that will behoove you in hosting some of these sessions and doing those sorts of things but i want to talk to you about that and because you're uh you've been around the block a bit uh some of your favorite places to eat and then also because you are the i think you're the authority holy shit yeah. That's, a, that's a high honor. The authority on hiking trails uh, <laughs> yeah. around the area. And there are a couple I don't want you to talk about. But, of course. Um, of course. But, yeah, let's, let's, if we can, cover a little bit about what you're doing now and how yeah. people can find you and join you. And then uh, let's go into the, some of the fun stuff. The, yeah, your, fav- your favorite things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we talked about the, I did a library presentation. It was just the, the third presentation I've done on the uh, grieving and healing in the outdoors of Oregon. I did uh, last week in Lake Oswego at the public library there. And um, this is kind of tough to talk about in a, in a way because it, it's, I don't want to be like, it's almost self-aggrandizing, I guess, when pe- when you're relaying compliments or comments that are, are positive, and that that makes me slightly uncomfortable. But uh, I got feedback from some people uh, at this before, during, and, and particularly after this presentation that let me know um, they they may have been the the best things anyone has ever told me about my work, and so. You, you, as you know, you know, no one has ever come up to me and said, uh, you know, that hiking guidebook that you wrote uh, changed my life. You know, that sort of you don't get that a lot as writing about food or drink or, or even hiking. You want to hear that. You <laughs> definitely want to hear that as a writer. But it's, yeah, it's hard do, to come, but I, it's I've hard never really come by. Yeah, I've never I've never gotten that before. And then to, to have this feedback of, you know, letting me know that. Or saying things like, um, you're helping people in ways that you can't possibly imagine. Or to tell me that um, I put something into a perspective that they thought they were alone, that no one else felt this way, and that they were afraid to communicate that to anybody, but that they heard that 
that was what I was going through as well, um, made them feel less alone. And to, you know, to hear things like that, Chris, just kind of, um, it floored me in, in the best possible way and let me know, you know, reading these essays out loud to people and having these presentations is most assuredly emotionally draining. Uh, it, it takes it out of me. But hearing that and knowing the potential impact on other people and other lives um, invigorates me tenfold. And so uh, I, I really feel, and this is a very recent development, you know, in, in just the last couple of weeks, that doing this writing and having these presentations and having these conversations with people is is more meaningful than I th I thought it could be. And I'm very grateful and, and um, excited, I guess, in a way to be able to do this or to, to continue doing it. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's, that, that harkens back to the presentation and I'm going to be um, booking more of these. I have a few more coming up. Mostly they, they ramp up again in September. Uh, I'll be, you know, at the West Lynn library. Uh, I'll be in Salem. I'll be all over Southern Oregon. And now I'm going to schedule more, especially as like Multnomah County is starting to open up and, uh, have library presentations again, or really anywhere that'll have me. Um, and I think, I think I mentioned it already, but in terms of like, I publish a new grief essay, uh, every other week on my Substack, which is collecting sunsets. Uh, com, and as I think I mentioned those are free and will always be and I welcome people to share them and you don't have to be a subscriber you can just go to that uh, site and uh, you could look in the archive tab and just scroll through and, and read all of those grief essays that you want and they'll always be there and I invite people to do that again you can not be a subscriber you can be a free subscriber uh, or if you just want to support the work or have access to the other writing I do that's non-grief related, you can become a, a paid subscriber, which is uh, $5 a month. And that gets you two additional stories a month. So like kind of every other week I do a grief essay and then every other week pick a topic, anything else that I'm passionate about writing about. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm doing now with, with, uh, uh, where I want my work to be going. So here's a, I, I view this as an obvious question, but I don't know. I'm sure you've thought of this. Will you get to the point where you're going to do these out in nature? Cause that would be, you know, rather than in a, conf the confines of a library. Oh, sir, you set them up. I'll knock them down. That yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, what I figure. So you need, you kind of need the library help <laughs> to do that. Yeah. But, uh, but you need someone to get people out to, you know, I'm thinking of yeah. what, what better spot than to have people go well, down to short sand and right. do well, this at short sand. It's great that you mentioned that because uh, I'm actually in talks with Oregon humanities right now. Uh, about the potentiality of turning these presentations into more of an interactive conversation that will take place like out in nature. Yeah. And one of, one of the things that we're, we're contemplating is, and, and you, you've done these, uh, Chris, where, where you go on like a multi-day rafting trip, like through Hell's Canyon or something, and it's themed, you know, it's, you bring a chef uh, and they mm -hmm. cook for you. Uh, well, this would be like we, we go with an outfitter on a multi-day whitewater rafting trip. Um, but what we would do is kind of all the normal 
day stuff and meals, but then in the evening have kind of these, uh, these grief conversations, kind of these guided interactive, uh, grief and healing conversations in these pristine cathedrals of mother nature, you know, in like a hell's Canyon or, or a backpacking trip into the Wallawas or something like that, that people could come on and, and do. And I would, you know, uh, kind of guide these, these, these things. But, uh, so yeah, I that, that's, see that. that's a, that is the, like the perfect place to do it, to get people. It, out. it is, and isn't it? it? Talk about life changing. Listen, this is not to diminish what you're doing in libraries. Sure. But if someone were to spend four days or five, three, two, three, four days, I've done it on Hell's Canyon and yeah. have that experience of sharing with people mm-hmm. that to me could be life changing for a lot of people, you know, turn, it, helping them turn the corner. Hundred percent. I oh, I can't agree with you more, Chris. And, and yeah, we're in the we're in the preliminary talks and and how we want you know how we're going to kind of build that out and what it's going to look like. But to your point, I literally just had that happen kind of impromptu. I did take a backpacking trip into the Wallawas a week or a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, with a, a an outfitter for a story, and I wound up having these remarkable. Uh, conversations with some of the other uh, couples that were on this trip, uh, just just guests who were who were there, and we wound up discussing our own grief because you know I, eventually I shared my story and they shared theirs, and lo and behold, everybody had some loss uh, in their lives that uh, and a story to share about their grieving process, and so I was learning as well about what was working. For other people, uh, not just in the outdoors, but uh, in other aspects of their lives and, and their approaches to grief and healing. But to have that transpire uh, in the heart of the Wallawas around a campfire mm-hmm. uh, is something that I will always remember uh, for the rest of my life. And also to open your mind up to get out of your own head. Right. You're and right. this is happening for you. Get out of your own head and your own grief and hear other people's grief it gives you perspective absolutely and it's it's something different than you've been thinking about for a while right and um and yeah it's collectively very healing for right. to know that there are other people not only in the same boat but to hear their situations and sometimes say well you know they've been through it too in their own way i'm not right. the only person in the world totally. that's gone through shit it's one of the reasons i love watching rick steves because yeah. i see how much you know i didn't i didn't pay attention in school that much to history <laughs> <laughs> or I don't remember it, but at least right. with Rick Steves, he explains what has gone on, the strife that right. masses of people have gone through at the hands of assholes um, <laughs> right. and, and, or just, uh, just uh, you know, uh, natural disasters and all sorts of things that have happened to people over the years that, yeah. that I think helps, to, helps you to get through to see it's, wow, it's not, this is part of life. Uh, yeah. Death is part of life. Grieving is part of life. And um, it helps. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'll get off my thing there. No, that's great. Yeah, you, you summed that up perfectly. We're, we're all in this together. All right. And I think that's important because that's what happens when you go through 
that kind of strife is you start to feel like you're all alone and it's just you and you got to get out of your own head. You have to right. at some point because you can't live there like that. Right. For real. So, um, fun stuff. Well, have, have you discovered <laughs> any new cool places that people might want to know about? Let's talk about some hikes first. I have your Urban Hikes of Oregon book that you were so kind to give me the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, I've th- thumbed through it a little bit. But what in this book might people in Portland, because we have a lot of listeners in Portland, um, a little surprise that they might not be aware of that's uh, fairly easy, right? So if it's easy, it's yeah. accessible to most everybody listening. Yeah. Um, a good one. Well, you know, in my area here, and I... <laughs> We've we've had this discussion too. I have to I have to tread lightly here because uh, now that I I live in Tillamook County, um, you know I found more uh, uh, permanent uh, living situation besides a hotel <laughs> several months ago. But now that I live here, um, it's one of those things I'm careful to. I want to shine a light on my my uh, my new hometown, so to speak, but I don't want to overexpose it. As you know, there's certain well, trails we don't discuss, but I'm going to humbly say we, you're not going to have <laughs> 6 million people rushing out route six to get to where you are Fair at enough. any, at any given moment, I would say it would be spread out and we're talking hundreds yeah, uh, who hear enough. it and who's going to act on it. So I don't think it's going to impact <laughs> even the, even the one little trail that you and I had mentioned to you a long time uh-huh. ago that I knew about. I wouldn't share about share right. with you i'm pretty sure you know which one uh, i know exactly which that one. i'm talking yeah. about i know exactly which one but I've we'll, been, we'll I leave was that off the table. secrecy yeah. when i when i learned that one and i i only share it with people who you know aren't going to come back and have no reason to talk to anybody yeah anyway well um, here's a good go one ahead. that I, I know it's it's not a secret so no one's gonna no one's gonna knock on my door over this but it's I think underutilized by by visitors and I think most people coming from Portland would really dig it so just north of uh, Pacific City uh, the Cape Kowanda area there is a uh, a state park or a state natural area called Sitka Sedge mm, and, that's one of mine yeah gosh I love this place so one of the great things about it is, you know, it's north of Cape Kowanda. So while, you know, Pacific City, rightfully so, is teeming with people, um, if you go just a mile north of there, there's a whole swath of beach that is almost uh, relatively untouched anyway. And at Sika Sedge, it's almost like I, I would describe it as a roller coaster for, for hikers where you get to walk through, you know, uh, Tidelands. You get to stroll on the beach. You get to walk through a dune area, a coastal forest. There's like five different little mini eco regions built into uh, this loop hike that you can do. And there's also some kind of choose your own adventure aspects to it. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not a 10 mile hike and it's not a thousand feet of elevation gain or anything like that. Uh, but you can make it uh, around four or five miles if you wanted. You can make it shorter than that if you like. But the the variety that's there, and again, the the relatively low population in that area makes it spectacular. I've been there a few times, and I venture to say I have not seen. It's a hike that you can generally do uh, without seeing people. 
Yeah. Um, and those are the ones that I like. And I love that little walk back to the parking lot, if I recall, which is just that straight, long walk along whatever one calls it. Yeah, the dike. The, the dike, the, yeah. It's yeah. A, it's a dike, and it's, it's pretty cool. By the way, you probably know this, and I don't. What is the definition of a sedge? Oh, gosh. That, that's a great question. I, I think it has something to do with uh, almost like uh, those sorts of clusters of like wax myrtle or uh, um, huckleberries. I think it's just like a, if I had to guess, a, a version of a hedge. <laughs> okay. Sure, I didn't man. know because I'm, I'm hearing like soul music, Sister, Sister Sledge. <laughs> I know none of it. But every time I think of that, I just that's what I, that's what comes to mind is like, why did they name this park after that in the middle of Oregon? Anyway, that's a good yeah, one. Don't, Thanks don't for pointing on that. that one out because you, you reminded it. me. I haven't been there in a long time. I I literally think I was there a week after they put the signs up. Oh really? This is a, is it a state park or a county park? I think it's a it's state a park. it's a state park. Yeah, right. It's a state natural area. I think. Yeah, I think it was rel- – I don't know. Maybe it had been there, but it got some kind of designation like three, four years ago. And- you're, you're right. It is one of the newest official state parks in Oregon. Right. Yeah, I was happy to discover it just by not reading your book, but just driving around. and What's this? I yeah, well this. done. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so what about something closer to Portland? Ooh. Uh, actually, you know what? The uh, – Step Creek, Gales Creek area. Uh, and this is also um, kind of on the way to the coast from Portland. I th- you can either, it's kind of in between the six and the 26, I think. There's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but it's the, I think it's the Rears Camp Trailhead. And this is one, it's it, again, pretty close to Portland uh, uh, if you're driving. I think it might be a half hour, 45 minute drive from Portland to get to that trailhead. Uh, but there's some wonderful hiking to be done up in there that uh, just not a whole heck of a lot of people get to because most people are coming out the six, you know, they see all the Wilson river trail trailheads and they'll, they'll Mm -hmm. hit those for sure. You'll see the cars in the parking lot, but this is a little more out of the way, but technically closer. So that's the step Creek Gales Creek area. Cool. Is that in this book in the urban hikes book? That is actually in my uh, 25 Hikes on Oregon's Tillamook Coast book. <laughs> there you go. Listen, okay. let's go down a list of the books that you've written so people know the topics and then talk about how people can find them. I'm sure Charles sure. has all of these books, right? They do, yeah. Uh, so the the first and most, um, you know, my first book baby and the one that still I think is is doing the best out there is Hiking Waterfalls in Oregon. Uh, that's now it's got its second edition. Came out a few years ago. Uh, I co-authored Hiking Waterfalls in Washington, and that's I think got its second edition out now as well. Um, Unique Eats and Eateries of Portland, which I know you have a have a copy of. Um, 25 Hikes on Oregon's Tillamook Coast, Best Outdoor Adventures Near Portland, um, Urban Hikes, Oregon, Best Easy Day Hikes, Salem and Eugene. And I think that's it. (laughs) That's quite prolific. Let's hope you get back to that at some point. But, you know, you've done a lot. So you've accomplished a lot. So in that regard, that's fantastic. Yeah, and thanks, you've been man. a lot of places, man. It's it's uh, that has given you a lot of 
a lot of time outdoors. Yes, indeed. Um, over the years, what was what started that for you? Um, and what were you were you writing before you started writing hiking guides? What were no, you writing no. that wasn't hiking? And what? How did this all come about? That's a great question. Uh, so, what brought me to the Pacific Northwest? So, in between my writing career and my uh, military career, I worked in information technology. And uh, I really did that for the paycheck. I, I wasn't a big fan of, of the work. And I wound up taking a job uh, that brought me and my, my then wife uh, at the time to Vancouver, Washington at the Nautilus World Headquarters. And so I took a job there in their IT department. And I had never been into the outdoors ever my entire life. And, <laughs> and then I discovered the outdoors of Oregon. And I think, you know, timing is everything. I'm one of those people. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I, 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 that's not my jam, but I, I do believe that timing is everything. And at this particular juncture in my life, you know, I was about to go through a divorce and had discovered the outdoors of Oregon and, and, was leading a pretty monastic lifestyle. I, I didn't have any debt or, or any bills really uh, beyond what it takes to keep a person alive. And so I've, I, I had this early midlife crisis and decided to quit my job to try and find a way to make a living outside. And I thought I was going to work for maybe the Forest Service or do trail maintenance or, or something like that. I, I really didn't care what the pay was as long as I was going to be outside. And in a weird kind of circuitous way, I just kind of kept coming back to writing about hikes and it took a while, but I eventually kind of started dipping my toe into freelance writing and, and I wasn't wanted to be like a landscape photographer too, but being a landscape photographer in the Pacific Northwest is like being an actor in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone does it and they're all better than me. And I was, <laughs> and so uh, I kind of morphed into writing and taking pictures about it. And, and slowly but surely I just kind of kept uh, submitting things and kind of getting one foot in a, in one door and then one foot into another door. And then, uh, eventually I, you know, met the right people. Uh, and that's as much as uh, of this as anything, as you, as you know, is, you know, I wound up going on a media trip with the, uh, editor of Northwest travel magazine. And uh, we got along famously and he wound up giving me my first, uh, assignment for a print publication for travel. And so that's kind of how I got into, uh, the travel uh, writing industry. And, and he just kind of kept feeding me assignments. And then, you know, once you're in one print publication, you can kind of parlay that into others. But he had a friend who was the acquisition uh, editor, I guess, for Falcon Guides, who said, hey, we're bringing this uh, waterfall series out to the Pacific Northwest. Do you know anyone who could write mm -hmm. a waterfall book about Oregon? And this wonderful friend of mine, the editor of Northwest Travel Magazine, uh, Alan Cox, said, yeah, Adam's your guy. And that got me into guidebook writing. That is awesome. Do you remember the first time you ever introduced yourself as a writer to anyone? Oh, gosh, I don't. 
<laughs> it's been a long time. It's a lot longer than I care I know, to but admit. How, but how cool was that after being an IT guy and in the oh, military yeah. and to yeah. say, yeah, I'm Adam, I'm a writer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took a, lo- a long time before even I believed it. You know, <laughs> but, you know it's, it's definitely a lot better. Uh, it's, it's a funner thing to say than, you know, I, I, I sit at a desk for third shift in a fishbowl. Yeah, exactly. And so the other thing, the other question I have, and I don't mean to delve too far into this, but I've always been curious because I'm, I've been uh, anointed a fallow writer by a couple of people. <laughs> Indeed, and you so, so I, I, I think about that a lot. But I always wonder when I see, you know, I see chefs with cookbooks out there and I see, you know, my friend Cindy Anderson, you know, who wrote a lot of happy hour guidebooks and all that. Right. Of course, Paul, we all know Paul Gerald. Oh, yeah. He's great. great And Right. And so I always wonder, are these, is, are people making a good living doing this or is this just they're working on it? It's on their way. So I, I don't mean to insult you by asking that question, but sure. is it something where you like, oh, this is a, this is a good career for somebody or is it, <laughs> is it more of a passion play and you'll figure it out? I mean, what I do is a passion play. I'm, right. not, I, I'm not getting rich doing what I do. Right. But so, um, and well, I'm at the age where passion plays are important. So. Right. Well, yeah, the, uh, the Rick Steves and the, and the Cheryl Strades of the world are indeed few and far between. Uh, however, I will say that just like them, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, they got into it for the love of the game. Uh, and they wound up, you know, becoming uh, astronomically uh famous uh for it but yeah if you ever calculated your hourly rate as a guidebook author uh you you'd find yourself in in, in a, a bout of depression for sure <laughs> and so uh you definitely there is love of the game it is about passion it's about um being able to somehow cobble together a living doing what you love uh and yeah you know the the longer i did it and the more i i I honed my craft and and met more people. Uh, I, I was finally able to make a living at it. Um, I still do, thankfully. But like I said, I, I live a, a very uh, modest lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I, like one of the things with it, with being a guidebook author was you know you have to uh, parlay that. You know, someone someone gave you this gift of thinking you're good enough to write a guidebook about waterfalls in Oregon. Uh, then that I started doing presentations about it. So my first library presentations were about you know promoting these books and libraries pay. Libraries pay you to uh, give presentations, and so I was I that was one of the circuits I worked, and I worked it pretty hard as I would go to these give these one hour presentations at libraries and I'd sell books there and kind of build a very organic, uh, following with people. And so, yeah, I, I, I do make a living. Uh, I'm not going to be able to retire lavishly uh, through it. Uh, and who knows where well, it goes now. You still have, you still have some time. You still got right. a long time to retirement as far yeah. as I can tell. And, uh, you never know where it's going to lead. And here's the other thing that's big. I, I've seen you, I've witnessed you taking, you know, press trips and so forth. So you get to go to wonderful places as part of your career. Well, that um, is true. That, as a matter of fact, uh, 
to, to kind of uh, drive that point home. Uh, I, I was the, I, I spoke at a career day at a, at a high school a few years ago. I was the, the travel writer. And of course, after I give my spiel at the end of the, the thing, some kid asks me, so how much money do you make? I said, "Well, well, son, we're not going to get into numbers. He should be. Uh, he should be I, a podcast host." Well, <laughs> right, well, and I told him. I told him, like, kind of like <laughs> I told you. I said, "Look, you know, if you want uh, fancy shoes and a nice car and a big house, this certainly isn't isn't the gig for you. But you know, if you want to meet amazing people, see amazing places, have incredible experiences." Uh, there's no better job on earth. And so, yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than, well, hell, uh, Chris, like that, that backpacking trip to the Wallawas a couple weeks ago. Right. Was, that's the one that for, came to mind. What, yeah, yeah, that's, that's an assignment. You know, I got to go on that for free and, and, uh, you know, that's something that would have cost thousands of dollars. Uh, so yeah, you, it, there's a lot of compensation that isn't monetary that I get, which I'm really thankful for. Right. And that's worth a lot. I mean, that's something you would like to do and probably wouldn't, in most cases, spend the money on that. And those are life right. experiences that are with you. And um, 100%. That's fantastic. So listen, you you do have the book that you brought to our event at... Um, it's interesting, actually, the the connection at uh, Olympia Oyster Bar a few yeah. years ago when we did the we did the Salmonberry Salute. It was called Salmonberry Saloon at the time, yeah, which is a coastal thing. And uh, I believe I introduced Maylene to Mike Aldridge, who's now got the Smash Burgers, Mid City Smash Burgers. Yeah, what a great uh, burger that is, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, he's doing really well. Shout and listen, out to Mike. like all of us, we were all at the time. Well, at one point, we were all in Portland, and he's now uh, he's now out in Bend doing his right. thing down there. So right. that's pretty cool. But you wrote you wrote the book, and I know through firsthand experience, having you know living on the coast, you're at you're eating in Portland restaurants less and less than you probably used to. Definitely. Um, but uh, you got some current favorites there and out on the coast that you might share with people. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, this- we, by the way, just so we can write this podcast off as food based, <laughs> we right. haven't talked about food, right? We need right. we need the deduction. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot that's super exciting to share that way. I will say. You know, when I was living across the street from it, I was going to the Salmonberry fairly regularly. Uh, still a fan of the Salmonberry. Uh, great uh, local seasonal fare that they do. Um, in the Halem, as a matter of fact, when I was living in Wheeler uh, up the road, I think most people know about Wanda's Cafe uh, in the Halem, but there's this great uh, fish and chips food cart tucked away called i think it's the riverside uh fish and chips riverside and chips yeah gosh i love that place and i would actually take a they have a a a kayak kind of uh pull in right there on on the river and i would go out for a paddle and then kind of coast in there and get a uh, a beer and some fish and chips and then paddle back into the marina and that was that was at least one of my lunches uh for a long time each week uh but now in Tillamook you know I've been I've been living in Tillamook I think for about 8 8 months now and I was actually really excited to get a kitchen because I you know I had a microwave and a and a mini fridge when I was living in the hotel 
So mm-hmm. I've been I've been making a lot of meals at home, but what I I have discovered here is there's a pretty vibrant food cart scene in Tillamook actually. Uh you see a lot of them on the main drag on like Highway 101 if you're kind of kind of south of um heading down from the creamery, but where I live kind of closer to that down, that downtown area, what I like to do is just kind of go to the guard and have a couple of beers and then walk literally across the street to this little food cart pod that's next to the Ace Hardware uh, and have some food there and then lit- literally walk across the street again to the Tillamook's Pelican Brew Pub, <laughs> have another beer there and then uh, and then call it a day. But the, the the food cart scene in Tillamook has really been. Uh, that's probably where I spend most of my my uh, going out to eat. Uh, have you dollars. have you been to Recess in in Tillamook? The food I, cart? I haven't. No, the, that's right up. It's uh, kind of catty corner to the McDonald's. Right, that's uh, one of the ones uh, on Highway 101. There, right on 101. And we had just to reference it. We had Jen on from Recess when she opened it. And uh, that's a pretty nice little cart you should I've try. I've heard good things. Yeah, I need to go check that out. Yeah, that's a good one. I got a brand new one that you should be aware of and everybody else should be because they're really nice people. Please. Just opened this week. I think they may even be taking a couple of days off, but I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Bay City Eatery or Bay City Kitchen. I'm sorry. Bay City Kitchen. Oh, which uh, you know, you you know where Pacific Seafood is, right? Right. In Bay City. Right. Well, across the one hundred and one, there's always been a place with a big sign that says "Kitchen" there. Well, some folks from Portland who have some chops uh, <laughs> have just op- bought it and opened up uh, Bay City Kitchen, and they're doing. Um, they're doing breakfast and lunch. I haven't been there yet. I promised I would be there. They opened like last Thursday, a week ago. Oh. Uh, uh, or was it Tuesday? I don't remember. It was recent. And uh, I got to get down there. Maybe you and I should go grab something. Absolutely. Somewhere. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So, uh, And they're also going to do some, uh, which I think is great, some dinners here and there. So if you follow them. On Instagram, you're gonna be you're gonna know about their uh, dinners. I think they're doing a a, a pig this weekend. Oh, I'm so, in. Uh, excited <laughs> about that. And then you mentioned the pizza place. I'll let you talk oh, about yeah. it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I was writing a story. Uh, I think for Willamette Week actually uh, a couple weeks ago uh, about you know kind of a, a little Tillamook getaway, and I was staying at. One of my favorite places to stay uh, in this area here, the sheltered nook. They've got these tiny homes. And I was talking to the owner there about, you know, where, where he likes to go eat and what's good. And he said, this crab rock pizza, Garibaldi. And so I took him up on it and went there and uh, I was really impressed. And it, it's one of those things, you know, living here, Chris, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions to anyone, but yeah. a lot of times smaller p- towns on the coast and stuff, you know, you, there's an adjusting bar uh, for what you expect. It's as opposed to like being in Portland or Seattle or San Francisco. Oh, uh, for sure. You know, yeah, and no, so, no. You, you know, you, 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 there's a sliding scale of, of, of expectation. Uh, and so, I wasn't necessarily thinking it was going to be, um, I thought it'd be passable, uh, but oh, I was really impressed. They got some house-made sausage that they put on there and uh, a lot of things. I think you know more about uh, their process than I do, but I, I thought it was great pizza. 
Well, here's the other thing. The one thing we do have out here at the coast is the coast. So right. <laughs> you, can go to, you can go to Crab Rock Pizza, and I think it's great. Um, I also, you know, my other favorite pizza place is Marzano's. In oh, Manzanita. you mentioned that. Yeah, I Yeah, been. but Crab Rock, here's what I, I haven't done yet, but I will, because I went there once to eat in, inside, um, and then I took it out, which is a kind of a long road home for me. Sure. From there to keep, you know, you got to warm the pizza up. That's my feeling. But you can just take it right outside on a picnic bench right there outside yeah. or go even a little further out to, you know, where Garibaldi has other picnic benches on the bay. Right. Garibaldi Bay and eat it right there. And Absolutely. that is different than an experience you're going to get in Portland. So Very good point. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> so yeah. was, uh, that may be added to the, uh, added to the ambiance, the overall feeling there I had about the pizza place. Yes. It's uh, and they have a white clam, not all the time, but most of the time. So that to me, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that's a, that's a big positive for me. And it was yeah, good. That's your jam. That's your jam. That's, that's good. So uh, I'm going to, I'm, Generally, somewhere in a, uh, on a TV show or a movie, I heard the thing, never ask someone a question you don't know the answer to. We're not in a court of law here. But, uh, but I do generally uh, subscribe to that on this podcast. I've learned over the years, don't ask somebody if they've been to a particular restaurant because invariably at the end they go, well, I didn't want to talk about that. But, it, right. you know, I don't. but um, have you been to Jandy Oyster? Out in uh, Tillamook, I would imagine. I'm uh, I have not. You have. I have not. Well, okay. Let me. Th- there's a good reason. Uh, uh, it, in addition to everything else that I, I was blessed with this last year and a half, I was diagnosed with gout. Uh, just you know, oh, the, hit, I'm sorry. the hits hits kept coming, and so so uh, I was avoiding uh, shellfish and seafood and a lot of the other things that they tell you to avoid for for quite a while. Uh, however, however, might like any any other ailment in this country, there is a medication for it, and so I, I have some gout pills now, and I'm just kind of starting to explore the space again with what I can get away with in terms of uh, seafood and beer consumption and beef <laughs> that sort of thing. So right. I promise to check it out. I know that I, I hear they're fantastic. It's close to you, and the, you yeah. know the the oysters are great. They're out there working their asses off, uh, harvesting oysters all the time. They're nice people. We also have a podcast with them as well, so that's easy to look up if you oh, want, nice. anybody wants to hear that. But they also do uh, dinners there, so I think they have. I think this weekend, as a matter of fact, I saw, I got an email or something for their crab dinner, and then they'll do steak dinners with music, and it's outside, man, and it's here we are on the coast. And there aren't a ton of great food opportunities, I feel, unless you go. Uh, there's a, the ones you've mentioned here. And, you know, I feel you, like you got to go up to Astoria or down to Newport if you really want right. really to do it. But so when those opportunities come up, you know, for people who are out here, yeah, um, they're worth noting. So Yeah, I'll definitely hit them up. And, it, uh, oh, I will mention the other place I like kind of around the corner that I have been to several times is the Schooner. Right there. And, no, it's one of my favorite yeah. go-tos. My one of my first go-tos in this area. Yeah, and I'll I don't drive know why I forgot there. that. But. You and I should meet there because I will often when I just want to get out. That's about a forty-five minute drive for me, and it's a 
pretty drive, and yeah. I love going out and sitting on their deck and um, checking that place out. So. Oh, let's line that up. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, is the Never Shellfish Farm doing anything now? Are they still open? I don't hear from them. Anymore. I don't know. I drive by there frequently, but I haven't. I haven't seen any action, so I, I don't know. All right, that's where you know. That's where uh, Renee and I had our first little romantic. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that moment. Yeah, well, we did a. Maylene was doing um, lunches there. She was doing pop ups out there. Oh, okay. I invited a a group of mine that was going to Sicily that year to come out and let's all meet and do this. And uh, she she walked up, and that was that. So I I just don't know because um, there have been pop ups with different people over the years, but I haven't heard anything recently, and that was always a good spot to go in the summer. Yeah, yeah, so, I'll have to check uh, that out, too, see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, well, you're close by there. I asked it because I think, based on what I think I know where you live, you're really close to that. Somewhere I am, but, you know, as, as, and as we've mentioned, I am just now kind of starting to uh, reintegrate into society and go, like, I can reliably go to places and, and quote-unquote, people. Uh, it's, a, it's a recent development, so I promise to be uh, getting out and exploring a little bit more beyond just the beaches and the forest to get back into some uh, culinary things here soon. Good. Well, let's, t- let's do that together because I, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people out here by design. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Preach. <laughs> but uh, I am looking, you know, there are a few places I like to go once in a while, and it would be, uh, it would be nice to meet up and do that. It would be my pleasure. So oh, I'd love to. I would love to. That would be fun. Listen, I really appreciate your taking the time. This is uh, 20 minutes longer than I told you we were going to take. So Holy cow. Yeah, that went uh, fast. Well, it goes fast, and yeah. I, don't, I think we didn't even cover all of what – both of us thought maybe we would cover, but I think we got a, we got a lot. I really appreciate your candor and, and willingness to share some tough times um, and describe it. And uh, I think just listening to this, people will um, help. Listen, where can they find, do you have anywhere, is it on your Substack where you're going to be speaking or doing your library talks? Actually, the best uh, the best way I've found to relay that information is on my professional Facebook page, which is Adam Sawyer, Professional Gentleman of Leisure. You oh. have to excuse me for that. I'm sorry. That's that a was, lot to live up to, my uh, friend. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, it sounded like a good idea at the time when I was coming up with all this 14 years ago. Uh, <laughs> But it is what it is. It still exists as that. Uh, so if you can get past uh, the name, it is Adam Sawyer, Professional Gentleman of Leisure. And I post uh, those upcoming events and anything else that's kind of going on on there. That's fantastic. And I would say the leisure part of it is easy to live up to. The gentleman, that's a little harder. That's so, a rough one to, to get the stick. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you do it. You, you do it. And uh, I think that's great. I do have one other question that I was going to ask you when we hung up. But I'll ask, do you hear we met through Maddie uh, at an event years ago? Like oh yeah, eight years ago. Do you do, are That's you in right. touch with Maddie, the former editor oh, of Eater at all? God, I wish he. You know, he reached out to me uh, when after the loss, and uh, I see him online every now and again. But I haven't talked because you know he, his wife, and, and they they fled. At, to Maine, and they've right, been they're flying. writing about living off the grid. Yeah, yeah really. 
low uh, under the radar for a while. So no, I haven't spoken to Maddie in a long time, but I, I should catch up with him. He's a fascinating guy, and I feel like I never got to know him well enough. We kind of had a weird start knowing <laughs> each other. So, yeah. Um, no, he was one of my best friends in Portland. I really uh, – it was a bummer to watch him go. Yeah, that's why I asked. Well, let me say this. I re- one of the things I love about this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to spend time with people that I don't get the opportunity to spend time with. And you and I have never – you know, up until this point, we have – really shaking hands and said hello and not any long conversations so we had the opportunity to do so a couple of days ago out here with some coffee and we've just had over an hour and a half and it is my my pleasure and i hope for the millions of people listening to this the uh a pleasure as well i think it will be and it's really been nice to get to know you and um you're a great guy and uh you do some great work and um thanks Oh, you too, Chris. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to be here. And as you said, it's been really wonderful to, to spend some quality time with you. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, we'll do it again and we'll do it, uh, we'll do it offline too. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, man. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right